guys, welcome to Verity, the show where we aim to be open and honest with you about any and everything. I'm your host, my name is Aaliyah, and today we have our guest, Miss Amina, who is a clinical supervisor and a counselling psychotherapist. Hi Aaliyah, thank you for having me today. Great. So, um, we brought you here, well I've asked you to come here, so that you could tell us a little bit about, um, you know, what you do and kind of give us more information about sexual abuse and the topic that we're going to be discussing today. So. Okay, so firstly, I'm just going to say that I'm not an expert in this field. Okay. So I'm just um, going to share my awareness, my knowledge, um, and just some examples from, from my work, really, to um, support you with this today. Okay. Um, I've been working with um, survivors of sexual abuse for nearly just over 10 years now, males and females, childhood trauma. So a lot of issues related to mental health, related to trauma. So that's a little bit about what I do. Okay, what kind of interested you to go into the field? Oh, okay. So um, just interested in human behaviour, mental health, um, things that impact and affect people, people's behaviour, people's mental health. Mm -hmm. Um, I had a desire to want to support and help, so... This is kind of what um, drove me down this field. Okay. And doing that, I came across um, a lot of issues of sexual abuse. So I wanted to train. Um, yeah. Perfect. Okay, so um, I have a few questions for you today mm-hmm. um, about sexual abuse. And the topic that we're going to be discussing is um, complex trauma. Could you just give us... Um, and meaning or understanding of what sexual abuse actually is. Okay, so under the Sexual Offences Act 2003 in the UK, um, there's sexual abuse, sexual assault, there's mm-hmm. also rape. So rape is, um, the term rape, the definition of it is um, oral, anal or vaginal unconsented um an act, sexual act, where a penis is used, mm-hmm. sexual assault or any form of sexual abuse. This may involve, um, again, any unconsented sexual contact. This could be fondling somebody without their consent, showing them pornographic images, mm-hmm. um, videos, touching them um, without their consent, or forcing them to touch somebody else. Um, this could also involve um, female genital mutilation, Uh, masturbating in front of somebody else without their consent, getting naked in front of somebody else or even watching somebody else, Mm -hmm. um, watching other people having sex. So it's it's quite uh, broad. So I would say, yeah, definitely have a look at the Sexual Offences Act. And yeah, yeah, so it really, really um, defines it down. Yeah. Okay. So what I wanted to go into with sexual abuse was complex trauma. Mm. Um, So complex trauma, to my understanding, and you can add on to this as well, complex trauma um, kind of relates to a child who has grown up in, let's say, a household that is full of abuse, full of neglect, and it's continuous, you know, it just carries on. There's not really any stopping ground unless someone interrupts. So this can be um, a child getting abused by either the caregiver, which could be their mom or their dad, or, you know, a family member that's close to them. Mm-hmm. Um, can you kind of just expand a bit more on complex trauma and what it actually is? Okay. Um yeah, definitely some of the stuff that you've said, and I'd like to add that complex trauma can um, 
begin quite early um, on for somebody like a child it can also happen later on in life as well Mm -hmm. so if we look at trauma you know what what is trauma trauma is an emotional response to a distressing event or experience now when trauma happens our nervous system which is responsible for our functioning and our nervous system is made up of you know the brain your spinal cord all the nerves in our body so it helps us to function to eat to sleep to to basically you know carry on in a daily you know daily basis so when trauma happens our nervous system gets dysregulated so when there's complex trauma like you identified there could be sexual abuse there could be neglect there could be bullying there could be uh, verbal abuse so you can imagine with each form of um, distress this is constantly probably going on for the individual now our bodies haven't been made to deal with so much distress yes we may go through you know we all go through difficult periods that's just you know normal you know Mm. um our bodies are made to deal with that and for us to carry on but when there's that constant distress and that constant dysregulation from the complex traumas this the impact can be it can be huge yeah. 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 So we're not looking at one trauma. We're, we're looking, looking at, at different, multiple, multiple ones, multiple traumas, and it's. I think it's really important to highlight that trauma is individual for everybody. Yeah. So how you might deal with a difficult situation might be completely different for me. Yeah. And then how I respond to that situation might be completely different for you. Okay. Does that make sense? So we yeah. can both go through something. <laughs> yeah. You might come out of it like, oh yeah, that was all right. I'm not, you know. But for me, I might be like, oh my god, yeah. that's really caused me, you know, nightmares, flashbacks, all sorts. So it's really important to remember that uh, trauma is very personal and mm-hmm. very individual to each person. Would it be common to assume, though, that m- many people that face complex trauma will have some level of effects of disorganised, like, attachment? So for me, disorganised attachment would be... Um, not that you find your perpetrator, like, you know, attractive in some in any way type of thought but it's kind of like you have a confused relationship with your perpetrator so if i was to give you an example of say my perpetrator who was like an uncle of mine mm-hmm. so now it's come to it will it will come to a stage or it came to a stage where i would see him standing in front of me but i couldn't recognize the emotions that i had for him if mm-hmm. that makes sense so i'm not frightened but at the same time i'm not happy to mm-hmm. see you so it's kind of like how would disorganized attachment come into that Okay, so firstly, talking about disorganised attachment, another another term for that is the fearful avoidant attachment, and mm-hmm. what's real, really central to this attachment is fear. Mm-hmm. So if you're, you mentioned your uncle, if he was your abuser, mm-hmm. so you can see automatically this this relationship, this relationship that should have been you know trusting relationship there's a lot of fear around that because he's your abuser Mm -hmm. so you can see how you know that relationship won't be built on trust your safety will be questioned your safety is at risk so that Mm -hmm. would then put you in a threatening situation whenever you're faced with him Mm -hmm. from from what what i'm understanding and then we go back to trauma you know how your nervous system's responding every single time you're around him Mm -hmm. so you know if you completely shut down or completely froze when you're around him you know that avoidance that fear that that wouldn't be very uncommon yeah because you know your body and your mind is responding to to the abuser that's there in front of you how would this 
I know how it's mm. affected me, obviously, mm. in my later life. Yeah. But for a majority of people who don't recognize that they have disorganized attachment, mm. how would it affect them? Because for me, I'd say that, you know, I can't form stable relationships mm. with people. Like, for, for example, even if uh, even if you're a female, like yeah. I find it difficult to even form relationships with females because it's kind of like, you know, I don't see why I should mm. trust you enough to, for you to be a part of my life, if that makes mm -hmm. sense. Like, you can show me that you're a trustworthy person and all that kind of stuff, but there's only a certain level of confidence that I can have to in a person, if mm -hmm. that makes sense. Mm. So how can I recognise that this disorganised attachment or fear of attachment has affected me in my later life? Well, like you've said, the difficulties you're having in relationships and not everybody who has had abuse as a child... Um, may result to having a disorganised, but it's very possible. Mm -hmm. And often that is where, where the attachment can come from, the disorganised attachment, the fearful avoidant, because there is a huge fear of attachment, because your trust would have been broken by somebody that should have protected you and kept you safe. Yeah. So therefore relationships might feel really unsafe. Yeah. That trust element, being close to somebody, intimacy. You know, it's not that you're not capable of, being intimate or being close to somebody mm -hmm. there would be a huge fear around that you mm -hmm. know where the avoidance might come in the fear of getting close to somebody or letting somebody into your life mm -hmm. and that doesn't mean that you don't want to be close to somebody or you don't have that desire or need to want to build close relationships and bonds mm -hmm. you know there may be some obstacles or blocks that you might feel because of what you've experienced attachment styles can be changed mm -hmm. you know it doesn't mean that because that's you know that would be attachment for the rest of your life if you're aware of it with you know getting the correct support or or you know doing your own research that can be really helpful yeah if you're aware that I have this attachment you know and having that understanding of how it's affecting your life you can then look at okay what can I do to change it which of course there might be some challenges there yeah and it doesn't mean that that would be your attachment with everybody you you may be able to build some secure attachments with some people yeah. may require a lot of trust yeah you know on your part as well as you know maybe checking out how much you feel safe around the other person I think this ties into the conversation we we're having earlier about being self-aware and yeah. I said you know like being self like for me being self-aware is is kind of like a weapon to myself because becoming mm. self-aware means that I'm more self-critical. And if I'm more self-critical of myself, it means I'm also being self-critical of others mm. as well, if that makes sense. Yeah. So if I'm able to recognize for myself that, you know, I have an attachment problem, I can't really do anything about having an attachment problem, if that makes sense. Like mm. I can recognize that I have the attachment problem, I acknowledge it. But then now making the steps mm. of, you know, trying to change myself or mm. trying to change my mentality or the way I think, I think that's where the issue comes into. Yeah. So yeah. I think now the question is, how can I move from acknowledging it to actually implementing it? Because I can't, I can't implement it. It's very hard. It. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and that, that's completely understandable, yeah. you know, because this is probably a way that you've learned from a very young age. Yeah. You know, it's become normal that attachments are scary, getting close to people are scary, it's frightening, so yeah. I'm going to stay away, you know, going back to your survival state, so that would make complete sense. Also remembering that our brains are hardwired, you know, if it works, you know, the way to keep safe, if it's away from people or avoiding, it'll do it again and again, you know, because yeah. that's what keeps you safe and that's how the brain learnt. So it's about trying to, you know, look at different strategies, recognising that actually 
is this holding me back? Is this mm. attachment? Is is the way I'm responding and being around people? Is it affecting my life? Mm. You know, and you know, it may take time. It might take again work on your part, mm-hmm. um, and gently, slowly, you know, untying those really deep rooted, you know, um, difficulties that mm-hmm. that have become very normal. Again, going back to what we discussed earlier, you know, yeah. the um, what your these responses are normal responses from an abnormal situation yeah. that you experienced you know the abuse yeah. wasn't normal yeah that was abnormal but the way you're responding is a normal response to abuse yeah but it's also impacting your life where you're struggling to now you know have healthy relationships yeah does that make sense it makes yeah. yeah 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 it does um talking about normalizing yeah. though and the normalities of people that have enjoyed um sexual abuse especially when it comes to children and young mm. people how can we how are we able to allow them to know that they're not the perpetrators in terms of if you look at a child in the development of a child right they they're usually egocentric so a child usually mm. just thinks about everything being revolved around them like mm. this is this is my world everything's about well, it me isn't. <laughs> yeah. it like, is their world isn't it yeah so it's like yeah. I'm a, you know everything's about me type of thing so mm. now a child who has, you know, gone through, who who has endured this type of thing will now start thinking in their head that, you know, this is my fault. This has happened because it's, it's, I'm a bad person. You know, this person has done it, done it to me because I'm a bad person and I can't go and tell either my mom or my, or my dad or whoever, mm. because they'll blame me or it's me that will get punished. They basically will either blame themselves or they'll try to resolve the situations within themselves. That's mm. why they find it difficult to either express what they've gone through or to just, you know, talk about it. So when it comes to a child, like normalizing the behavior patterns that might might develop, mm-hmm. how can we go about that? Like explaining to them, like, you know, y- you're not, it's not you, like it's not a, you. It is about you, but it's yeah. not about you. Tabina. How can yeah. we go about that? I think the first and foremost important thing is that the child isn't the abuser. Yeah. And, you know, it's really difficult because each child's experience and, and their environment and, and how the abuse happened may be very personal. Yeah. Um, it could be that the parents are the abusers. It could be that it's somebody in a trusted position. Um, it could be that the child hasn't got nowhere safe to go or tell anybody. So really depends on what's been going on for that child and yeah. their safety networks, whether the child um, has got people that he or she can go to. Um, but definitely if the child has a support network, a support system, um, has the education and that's being given to the child about, you know, what is sexual abuse, what is, um, you know, body boundaries, talking about um, your body and, and it's your body and, and having the boundaries that nobody should touch or nobody should force you to touch anybody else's body. The, these are really important um, conversations to have with a child. Mm-hmm. Now, if a child has experienced sexual abuse and does disclose, it's so important that the child understands that it's not their fault. Mm-hmm. Um, because, yeah, children, like you said, are, you know, it is, you know, the, when babies are born in the world, they, mm-hmm. they scream, they cry, they need their needs met. That's just you know, natural and normal, you know, and when their needs aren't met, Mm. this is where they, you know, it it becomes very dysregulated for them, you Mm. know, their understanding of the world, making sense of what's going on for them. And if there's, um, you know, something as massive as as trauma or neglect or rejection from their parents, Mm. of course, a child can look at it, okay, what's what's going on? You know, is it my fault? Why aren't I being loved? 
that can affect a child's self-worth, self-esteem, confidence, like I said, the shame, yeah. internalising the experience. I think um, another area to take um, into consideration is if there's been grooming going on by mm-hmm. the perpetrator, you know, how that presents in the child's life. Um, you know, is a child confused mm-hmm. about, you know, the same person that's supposed to be protecting them one minute shows love the next minute is sexually abusing them Mm. you know that can be very conflicting for a child it could be that the perpetrator saying things to the child like it's your fault you you know you wanted this you you made me do it Mm. so you know there's a lot of things that can go on for the child where they can feel that it's it must be my fault you know or if they're not being heard that can be internalized as i'm not important nobody wants to know so Mm. you know you know it's my fault Mm. How can we normalise, like, their being able to actually talk about it, though, or their being able to actually express the thoughts that is going through their head? Because I think one thing that we also miss when it comes to, you know, young people that have been abused and stuff like that is that when they go through this trauma event Mm. for them, we don't understand that we're creating desires or there's desires within them that are being created. And I think a lot, if what's fascinating for me that I found was that m- many of the kids, many of the young people that I've researched and that I've known that have endured sexual abuse and stuff like that, they vary between the line of becoming the perpetrator themselves, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. So they find it abnormal to talk about it because obviously we don't talk about what what actually happens to the mind when someone has been abused, how you can easily become you know, a perpetrator without the right treatment or Mm. you know without the right resources you can easily become the person that you don't want to be Mm -hmm. so now normalizing that whole talk of you know the desires that will arise if that makes sense so you have a child now that will go and watch um child pornography because they're either curious or because they're trying to uh, what, what was the word you used earlier? It was like replay or react? Yeah, re- um, react. Yeah. Or, yeah, replay what's happening yeah, to them. Yeah, basically replay what's yeah. happened to them. So how can we like come to normalise these types of talks to say mm. that, you know, there is a line, but mm. there's a way that we can also deal with this kind of thing, if that makes mm. sense. Mm. I think, you know, like um, some of the stuff that you've said there, just to try and break that up, um, and you know what you're doing here you know talking about <laughs> it i think that's that's vital mm-hmm. because uh, when a child has been has been exposed to sexual abuse yeah. um that might become normalized for them some children are born into sexual abuse yeah so sexual abuse could be a daily occurrence and, and something normal in their life which isn't normal yeah. but to them it could be normal that that could shape how they see um view other people mm-hmm. view um their behavior towards other people uh, they might think that that's the way it's it's okay to behave in a sexual manner um, or be available sexually as well. Mm-hmm. So helping a child, and, and the important thing is for us to notice, okay, what's going on for that child? Why are they behaving like that? And help that child to understand actually this is inappropriate behaviour. Yeah. Um, you know, it may require a, a lot of uh, work with that child to understand what's also happened to that child mm-hmm. to help them to understand that this this is not appropriate and what happened to them wasn't appropriate it's actually a crime Mm -hmm. Um, and if they're re-enacting or replaying some of these behaviors to help the child to understand that as well Mm -hmm. that you know this this is not right you know this is sexual abuse and you know we shouldn't be doing this kind of behavior yeah but would you say it's normal for them to have those kind of desires or for those desires to kind of arise from them? It, it definitely can. I mean, mm-hmm. I can't say for everybody, but, but yeah, yeah th- there could be that that possibly can happen mm-hmm. because 
again that might be normal for that person mm -hmm. and we have to also remember that sexual arousal from sexual abuse can happen as well mm -hmm. and that's a normal physiological response to um you know our body responds to being yeah. aroused so if a child's body has been exposed to sexual abuse then they they may miss that arousal mm -hmm. they may think you know that they want to feel those strong feelings again mm -hmm. so these things can all play a part in their behavior so this is why it's so important to break down you know what's going on for that child what's going on in their mind what are they thinking yeah. why are they behaving the way they are yeah. and to help them understand that this um you know isn't normal this you know I, what they went through was, was not normal. Mm -hmm. Another thing that I wanted to bring up was um, how culture um, and religion and faith relates to, kind of adds on to the effect of the trauma when it comes to sexual abuse and the stereotype of it as well. Um, I'd say for me personally, not that I didn't want to talk about it, but it was uncomfortable to mm -hmm. want to talk about it, if that makes sense. Like I come from a black African community, you know, um, I was never told that I couldn't speak about it, but it was just yeah. kind of like, why would I bring it up? Not even why would I bring it up, but how can I bring up that topic to a family member or to my mum to make them aware of what was happening when this is their blood relatives? Mm -hmm. So what are kind of like your thoughts and opinions around the stereotype? Because I think that's one of the reasons why so many people find it uncomfortable. Oh, definitely, kind of like definitely. I, th I think culture is, is a big one. It's, it's massive. Yeah. Um, religion depends what, the different religions say about um you know if there is anything i can't really give much about that yeah. i'm afraid um but also how how it's interpreted in the person's life you know if, if they're blaming themselves for the sexual abuse do they then think that they're going to be go to hell and god's going to punish them or, yeah. or their behaviors or how this feeds into their life um but definitely culturally the society we we grow up in the values and beliefs that are instilled into us mm. now like you said um that you didn't approach because how do you approach now uh, i guess what i'm wondering is was sexual abuse a topic that was spoken about or yeah. talked about you know when these things aren't talked about then what does a child do yeah. you know where do they find the language who do they go to mm. um you know if there's also shame involved um the stereotypes involved you know then does this affect a child's mm kind of thought process about you know can I go to somebody can I talk to somebody about this if they're internalizing the shame and, and they're blaming themselves yeah. then there's the stereotypes that oh you know sex is bad or sexual abuse you don't talk about rape then all these things can definitely add you yeah. know to a person and, and how they approach the subject or mm. even if they access help now another taboo is that men don't get raped um, that you know men are supposed to be strong and you know I've worked with many survivors of sexual abuse who are, who are male and it does happen mm. you know we see it in the news we of course it happens but mm. these stereotypes that it doesn't happen to men or um that men need to be a certain way that can definitely affect men accessing support and help um even females you know where they've grown up or the environment they've grown up in if there is this culture you don't talk about sex you don't talk about sexual abuse or if it's happened and the family are aware mm. And then there's the um, blanket of shame. You don't mm. talk about it. This is shameful. Then this can silence a person, mm. you know, completely silence a person in getting help and accessing help. So these stereotypes, cultural taboos, stereotypes, beliefs, um, 
really do need to be challenged. You know, we're we're in twenty twenty two. You know, come on. I think you know, that's I think that's one of the things. You know, these these yeah. things do happen and we hear about it, we see it. And the more we, we can be open to talking about these issues because these are serious crimes. Mm. You know, that people hopefully won't feel that they need to sit with the abuse or the shame mm. they can recognize that it wasn't their fault they can access help if there's perpetrators and hopefully they can also recognize that you know is there help and support that they can get to mm. um look at their own behaviors um you know um rape crisis i was looking at their statistics and for last year it was over six i think it was over sixty three thousand reported cases now that's and reported. those are the ones that they know about they're the ones they know about yeah. now we don't know the extent we don't know um the real numbers yeah. you know and this is one of the highest numbers yeah. you know and you know we don't know the real facts around you know where are the numbers you know how many survivors are there out there or, mm. or victims being still victimized um but if we can't have these conversations in schools, in homes, then how is anybody going to know any better? Yeah, that's so true. Yeah. That's one, of, um, I was going to add on to the one that you said about, you know, stereotype and taboo when mm. it comes to religion and faith. I think one that I found interesting was um, when perpetrators use religion and faith mm. to manipulate, um, to manipulate a victim into staying in a situation and stuff like that, because when you read many survivor stories they'll like when it comes from a faith point of view they'll mm. say that you know they used our god against us or they used the bible against us or they used something that was to do with their belief against mm. them to kind of like hold them there and to to make yeah. them stay there when it comes now to the healing journey and you're someone that still wants to believe in your god and you're mm. someone that still wants to you know serve their god and stuff like that because you you can separate the God from the man or you know yeah, the belief from the yeah. man and stuff like that how can one now begin a healing process mm. when it comes to their faith yeah. being distorted as well of course you know and, and just going back to what the abuser said like you know you mentioned using religion using God what we have to remember is some perpetrators will go to lots of lengths to silence yeah you know their victim you yeah. know because so they can continue doing it and this this can um, feed into the grooming process, the blaming process, the manipulation process, mm -hmm. you know, using God or, or fear or, or threatening them in lots of different ways. And, you know, of course, that, that can impact a person hugely, especially if it involves their faith or religion, um, you know, and can leave that real negative sense towards their religion. But also recognizing that it was actually the perpetrator who did what they did yeah. and of course you know in terms of starting the healing journey again i'd definitely say you know speaking to a professional trying to get the um some support that would be good for them yeah. um but yeah of course you know um perpetrators can go to lots of lengths yeah. you know to sexually abuse so they might use you know religion god um threaten to harm their families so there's a lot of fear, you know, there can be a lot of fear, sorry, um, yeah. involved in silencing a person, which can really distort and affect, you know, especially mm -hmm. a young child's thought processes, mm -hmm. you know, really cause um, something called mm -hmm. cognitive dissonance, where the person really struggles to make sense of their reality, become yeah. really confused that, okay, God is supposed to be somebody I believe in, but at the same time, I'm being told God, you know, God is going to punish me or mm -hmm. the perpetrator is my, um, a relative and they're abusing me so it can cause these really conflicting um 
thought process yeah. you know thought processes for that individual so it can become a very very complex situation mm -hmm. but remembering it's not their fault and and you know it is the abuser you know mm -hmm. the person who is doing the abusing that the responsibility lies with them one thing that i did i did find interesting um i think for me as well because this is something that i've i, I realized that i've been doing quite a lot a lot recently is this is disassociating and mm. I, I i know where my disassociated disassociation comes from if that makes sense but when i was doing my research and stuff like that they were saying that um many uh many survivors who have endured sexual abuse um will tend to dissociate to the point where they can separate themselves from their physical body so mm. it's either whilst they're being abused they will they'll draw their mind to either as if they're watching themselves yeah. get abused or they'll create a whole different reality where they won't have to feel exactly what is going on. Mm -hmm. So this is, this is what's happening to them as they're going through the process. So now that I would say that I'm older and stuff like that, disassociation has become a part of my life. Should mm -hmm. I say where it's kind of hard now to yeah. be like, to break away. Yeah, to break yeah. away. So I know that I'm not the only one who's talking through this, mm -hmm. but it's kind of like, I have two realities. I have the reality of my mind and then I have the reality of where everyone else is like the world and stuff like that. But when I'm going through a difficult time, it's so easy for me to regress back into my disassoci disassociative state where I'll, completely isolate myself from mm -hmm. everyone if that makes sense and just kind of like shut myself in my own head but then it will get to a point where you now can't tell which reality is real yeah. so that's something that i'd like us to discuss if that's mm -hmm. okay yeah, so how would you explain that or what's your but thoughts why, and ideas why wouldn't you <laughs> firstly why would if that's the way you learn to survive and cope yeah uh, and get and again going right back to the survival states we talked about yeah about trauma and and being in a threatening state and the way the mind uh, might and the mind and body might um, respond in order to keep you alive. Yeah. Um, dissociation is one of them, you know, the freeze response. And again, if your body and mind has, has um, recognised that this will keep you alive, mm. then other traumatic or any other time that you feel stressed can also take you back down to that because that's what your nervous system is is but that's used to, almost like a defence mechanism helping you to survive. Yeah. But as you said it's still continuing when there isn't that threat. So that's yeah, where the, the difficulty that, is. Because yeah. the level, of, not I don't mm. experience trauma now, I hope not mm. anyways, but the level of distress that I experience now is not the same type of level of distress that I experienced then. And, so yeah. it's kind of weird to go back to that state of dissociating mm. where it's even worse now than when yeah. it was when it first started, if that makes sense. Yeah, so. of course, of course. And again, you know, it's not uncommon yeah. to, to hear this. Um, and it's, I'm glad that you recognize it and how yeah. it's affecting your life because this is where it can become really unhealthy and really damaging where there is no threat but your body's still responding as if there is that yeah. high level of threat. Yeah. Um, because again, this is what your body's been doing and any time there is stress, it's going back to that automatic yeah, shutdown response. and this is the way I need to keep alive and yeah. this is the way I need to survive. So being able to recognize that and when you do notice yourself dissociating, Maybe you can look at strategies and ways to slowly, because that's your safety. Yeah. So it makes sense but that you do that's that. That's exactly what I find even yeah. weird, because even in, during conversations, it's like I have to m 
it's like energy like mm. i have to genuinely concentrate on you speaking just for me not to draw back inside mm. this is why i started this whole podcast because i i put this in my um presentation where i said even in high school and primary school and stuff like that i would get notes back from school notes sent to my mom saying um your daughter's daydreaming your daughter's daydreaming every mm. single time is your daughter's mm. daydreaming and i'm like okay cool but i'm still doing my work like yeah. i was daydreaming but i still did my work to the to the, the way that they wanted me to do yeah, my work yeah. and it's only now that i'm realizing that okay cool it was a coping mechanism mm -hmm. but now it's like the realization is too late because mm -hmm. whenever i try to not dissociate that's when mm -hmm. i'm dissociating even more yeah so it's kind mm -hmm. of like so in order to get out of the dissociation you're getting more in a <laughs> yeah. stressful state which is causing heightening the dissociation yeah so it's kind okay. of like yeah those i think it was just a couple of weeks ago where i was trying to brush my teeth and i stood in front of the bathroom mirror mm. and it was like a good 10 minutes where i was just trying to like get out of it but i was just mm. like i'm standing in front of the mirror 10 minutes okay. just zoned out what methods um do you think we can use for um people like me that dissociate in times like this Okay, again, that would be very personal because dissociation can be on different levels. Yeah. Um, you may completely dissociate for long periods of time, yeah. short periods of time. You may be here talking to me, but maybe physically not really feel it. So that there would be, or there can be lots of different forms of dissociativeness. So depending on what's going on for yeah. you. Um, so for you in terms of dissociative, is, is there anything specific you're looking for? I don't know. As I just zone out, like not okay. zone out, but I'm thinking, I'm thinking, but I'm not here. Like I'm okay. thinking, like I can hear mm. everything that everyone's doing. I can see what you're doing. Like even though I'm not focused on you, I can mm. still see you, like in my peripheral vision. Okay. I'm thinking and stuff like that, and I want to talk to you. I want to speak to you. I want to communicate with you but I can't, if that makes sense. It's like it's like looking through a glass mm. box. It's like, I can do all of these things, but Are I can't. Are you finding this situation quite stressful? This is, yes and no. Yeah, okay. Like, yes and no. Like, if I'm finding something stressful, you'll see because my mouth begins to alter. Like, I, I stutter. I can't, mm -hmm. I can't breathe. Basically. How's your body feeling? Uncomfortable. Okay. Why don't you just yeah. grind yourself? So, in times of dissociation, it's it's going into that free state yeah. your body isn't online it's not being accessed you know it's that um survival state yeah know? and and something that you've recognized has been going on for you for from a very young age so bringing your body online allowing your body to feel that you know i am here i'm present so even bring your feet against the floor you know so if you try that yeah put your feet again is that uncomfortable for you is that difficult yeah because you know I've, okay this is this is the things that I do, this is something that I struggle to tell people. Mm. Not that I was taught, but my mind taught itself to to lock me inside my own body. I don't know how to mm. explain it. So even if I was to, you know how people say, you know, just dance freely, like mm. express yourself. Hard for you. It's not. As it's easy. so difficult. Yeah. It's like yeah. it's like I'm, I can because feel... freeze is 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 what your nervous system is used to. Yeah. So, so even me saying to you, okay, just put your feet, just to try and just... reassure you that you're safe, you're you're held, you're grounded. It's really difficult. It's... So just doing something gentle, just like maybe touching the pillow, you know, just yeah. little things like that to allow your body to start feeling okay. It's okay. I'm safe now. Even just telling yourself. Now these are basic things. Yeah. Of course, depending on the severity of what somebody's going through, 
you know that that would have to be assessed and and to look at yeah. you know what support they need but just gentle things even just like letting yourself know recognizing when you're going into this shutdown state mm. you know gently trying to find things even you know things that help you keep safe yeah. keeping them at hand um, anything that brings you safety really so you know because when somebody goes through trauma or sexual abuse which is very traumatic a person's window of tolerance how much they can tolerate becomes very small yeah because of the trauma they're in just survival state so all the bodily resources the you know everything that we need to survive and, and cope with it it becomes really restrained because you're just trying to survive and that's where all the energy and, and, and everything goes into yeah. so you want to gently start opening that you know so your nervous system and your body and mind starts to get used to different ways of coping in a healthy way yeah and then you know to help your mind and body to recognize actually i don't need to dissociate because at the moment your mind is doing what it needs to do because it thinks okay you know Ali is stressed out so let's go back there again and shut it out and, and save her but for you of course as an adult you know that worked for you as a child yeah because it needed to mm. help you survive that situation but as an adult now you want to be functioning you want to get out there you want to meet people you want to do your job you want to work you want to focus you want to focus talking to me yeah. you know and and you know these are healthy normal things that you know of course you know it's it's required you know mm. in order to carry on and and function you know in the world and society but of course because of your experience it's very difficult for you yeah. you know so identifying is really important yeah. you know that that's already broadened your awareness <laughs> and you know looking up you know what support do you need to work with what you've recognized mm. you know to work with the fact that yeah you know I do I do go into this frozen state mm. and it, it, it is quite disabling it's it's not letting me do things that I'd like to do you know what support do I need what can I look into you know how can I help myself yeah. um, you know maybe trying different strategies what helps you to feel to, to feel so you don't keep going into that frozen state how can we well how can I personally come out how to explain this how can I come out of that because I've like I said like I can acknowledge something should I say mm. like becoming self-aware and all that kind mm. of stuff's mm. great and everything but then like you said implementing things like doing things step by step small things and all that kind of stuff my mind has taught taught myself like mm. flight it's all or nothing mm. you either go into one thing and you do it straight and you do it perfectly or you don't do it at all that's yeah. genuinely how my mind thinks yeah. so it will either freeze at an expense or it will just go for it yeah so, so there's no middle ground yeah so okay um coming up with like small healthy habits like mm. what small healthy habits that i can do to just kind of like if i'm having a conversation with someone and i can feel my mind drifting or mm. if i'm you know watching a movie and instantly it's like you know how can i just what are the small things that i can just try maybe to just kind of like bring myself back like you know just gently slowly like yeah um firstly i'll say i'm not an expert in yeah. <laughs> no, you know uh, dissociation yeah but you know how i'd work with with a client if they were dissociating it would be a lot of gentle work very slowly gently because again the body and nervous system isn't used to this yeah so being aware like we've said you know you're aware that okay when you're drifting off so trying to bring your focus back you know what can you do to bring your focus back mm -hmm. and also you know not forcing yourself or pushing yourself you know really opening your awareness you know really gently slowly trying different things that help you be present mm -hmm. and definitely i'd say you know to maybe um if you're open to speaking to somebody who, who can support you in in this area 
to help you um, gain further awareness and understanding and, and develop those skills, mm -hmm. you know, to help you. Yeah. So it doesn't, you know, take control of your life. Yeah. Um, another, the last thing that I wanted us to talk about was uh, self-identity. Mm -hmm. um, I think one of the things that we tend to do, for me especially, to regulate my emotions um, I can feel my emotions and stuff like that. Like I know what emotions mm. I'm feeling, but to express them or to show them for me is quite difficult. I don't, mm. I don't really know how to do that. And I think this comes back to the, um, to my upbringing as well. Like if I felt a certain type of way, there was no one there for me to express my emotions mm. to. So it was kind of like either there's no point or it's me that I'm going to express my emotions to, if that makes sense. So say growing up in this type of environment now, when it comes to me now expressing how I feel to mm. someone when I'm older and stuff like that, it's a bit shut in. Mm. Like it's kind of, uh, yeah. it comes out wrong. If I want to give someone a present or I want to say something to someone, I'll either say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing, if that makes sense. Mm. So working through this, like how can I work through this now as an adult in terms of like just trying to find myself, trying to express my emotions the way how I want to, mm. like how can I actually... Yeah. yeah. Just to highlight, you know, from what you've shared and what you've been through and the difficulties and, and the culture that you've you've shared, that you've experienced, you know, that you don't talk or there's nobody there to express to. And I think um, values, beliefs, culture, the environment we grow up in, um, you know, when there is abuse involved, that, that can have a massive impact on how you then yeah. respond and react in the world and, and your way of communicating and... Yeah. Um, you know your communication with others yeah. that, that can of course be impacted as well and just recognizing that I think that's um, you know a massive step forward that these are blocks and, and difficulties I'm experiencing mm -hmm. yeah um, sorry I forgot the question <laughs> it's okay. I've gone off on one <laughs> no, it's fine yeah, how, how can I yeah, yeah, how can I communicating like yeah. so yeah like just going back to the fact that you know of course you know because of the difficulties it makes complete sense that you'd you know, experience blocks, mm -hmm. but it doesn't mean you can't overcome them. Yeah. You know, just recognize that this is the way you, you survived or learned to survive or, or had to survive as a child. Yeah. Does it mean now that as an adult that you have to, mm -hmm. that there are blocks? Mm -hmm. And again, it may require, you know, that support system, um, getting support, talking through or looking at various ways that you can overcome these blocks. Mm -hmm. You know, the, you know, uh, difficulties you find and you know what comes up for you in in being able to express mm -hmm. um and being able to communicate effectively mm -hmm. because it's not just the abuse you've been through it's how it's shaped your world and shaped the way you see things and feel and and hear and you know how you are present in in you know in the you know in this world as yeah. well that that's all sounds like it's all been yeah. Um, quite distorted yeah. from, from the experience. I think for me it leads into self-destructive behaviours because mm. that's something that I did quite a lot to myself mm. because I lacked understanding in, in what what in what it is that I was feeling or what it is mm. I was actually going through. So if I didn't understand a certain type of emotion or something like that, for in order for me to understand it, I went to either I smoked a lot of weed when I was growing mm. up just to try and avoid a lot of emotions that I was facing mm. that I didn't understand. So I'd I don't want to say drug abuse because I feel like that's so harsh. But I say drug abuse is one mm. of my was one of my coping mechanisms back then. But then also kind of like just doing things that didn't really benefit me. Yeah. So I was my mom has my mom always says that I'm a clever kid, but I don't think I'm that clever because to me I've always like 
when you get you go to high school you get bullied every once in a while and stuff like that to me i was not that smart so mm. but to my mama i was very very smart and stuff so a lot of the times whenever i had an opportunity to either you know increase my career or to i don't know to add awards onto my name i went the opposite way mm. so if i had like a music competition or something like that if i had to do something that would benefit me i did something that would destroy me if mm. that makes sense mm -hmm. so i ended up becoming victimizing myself as well like re-victimizing myself yeah, into yeah. when i started getting older if that makes sense mm -hmm. so how how would it how could should i say how could i then begin to unravel that whole self-destructive behavior to kind of like actually value myself to know who i am to kind of steady myself like how can i go about that yeah just going back to what you said first about the weed and taking drugs and yeah, definitely sounds like that was your way of coping and yeah. dealing with, you know, some form of distress that was going on for you. Again, survival, trying to cope. Yeah. And, you know, when we have experiences, we're struggling to regulate or understand what's going on. Not just the experience, but the emotions that are coming up with that. Um, there's a gentleman, um, he came up with the term... Uh, mentalization his name's peter fogarty you could look him up if you want to but he talks about mentalization and that's mm. that's a really important aspect in a lot of the work that you know um professionals therapists you know they might do in mental health because it helps to make sense you know um of the experience what's gone on for the person mm. about their behavior and also understand other people as well and the effect on other people mm -hmm. now as a young child, if you've had experiences where you haven't had, you know, the mentalization where you haven't been able to go to somebody or talk to somebody or somebody hasn't said, okay, you know, Elia, this has happened and maybe yeah. this is why you're feeling sad or, you know, this is all this dysregulation that's going on for you yeah. and you're not being able to make sense. So, you know, you can't make sense of the situation. So you're beginning to turn to other things to cope with what's coming on for you. And this is just what I'm picking up. I could be yeah. wrong. Just, just tell me if I'm wrong. <laughs> that's absolutely fine. Um, so... Yeah, so your self-worth and, and having some understanding about yourself. Yeah. You know, about what went on for you, you know, being able to have compassion that it wasn't your fault. Yeah. This was you trying to survive and cope with, with some really, really tough things. Yeah. A lot of trauma that you've experienced and gone through and recognising the self-destructive behaviours and do you need to do them now? Mm. You know, like what purpose is it serving now? How is it affecting your life? How is it affecting others? Mm. As well as, you know, again, going back to, you know, is there support network? You know, what support networks can you access? Mm. Um, are there any professionals that might be able to help you or anybody else that's struggling with, with self-destructive behaviours? Because, you know, most likely they are survival mechanism, yeah. you know, trying to cope and survive and, and see that quite often, whether it's through self-harm, drugs. And I'm not saying everybody who takes yeah, drugs yeah. or alcohol or self-destructive behaviours, there's sexual abuse. But clearly it's, it's, you know, a lot of the times it is a way of survival and coping and just recognising that and then seeking help. Yeah. would really you know and hopefully um be able to kind of you know limit that yeah. self-destructive behavior and i do understand that people obviously are on different spectrums when mm. it comes to um the effects of sexual um, sexual trauma on mm. them so i know that some people can either be for me i wouldn't say for me actually i know that some people can be um can be very promiscuous and then mm. others can be very shut in where they just don't want any contact or physical contact at all and yeah, stuff like yeah. that so would you be able to explain 
the different things that they might enjoy like the uh, I think I forgot the name of it um, the different ways that people might experience um, sexual trauma that if they were able to identify in any of these areas mm -hmm. then it would be best if they wanted to if they felt comfortable to to mm -hmm. kind of like reach out from, for help for either from either the, a psychotherapist mm -hmm. or a psychiatrist or mm -hmm. a sexual health doctor yeah yeah, yeah of course I mean it, the effect and impact on from sexual abuse um, can be massive you know yeah. we're looking at okay the act that the sexual abuse that that's that's the crux of it but then with that might come anger shame isolation you know guilt yeah. person might blame themselves the like you said the promiscuous behavior might yeah. involve you know wanting to take control of your body so um you know wearing inappropriate clothes or getting into inappropriate situations mm. to be in control of yourself and you know i've seen that happen as well mm. or um you know sexual behaviors that are quite risky or dangerous for the person now again um it, it is about trying to recognize that and how it's affecting the person mm. you know they could be um this could then fester into their uh, personal life private life their studies their home life sleeplessness flashbacks nightmares it's endless you mm. know we're looking at uh, literally like a ripple effect um and that can affect their life in in so many ways so recognizing you know what's going on you know and, and it is about sometimes that self-awareness or if somebody else points it out yeah and sometimes people when they're going through trauma they, they might not be able to be aware because of what they're going through yeah. could be dissociation or somebody else might point out um so just trying to really understand yourself better um if there is sexual abuse or trauma and you're aware of it then looking at how it's affected your life yeah. you know um maybe looking at your triggers you know, uh, behavior, how it's affected your behavior, affected your life. And, you know, asking, do, do I need some help with this? Mm -hmm. You know, do, do I need to go and see somebody? Do I need to talk to somebody? Yeah, that's great. Thank you guys for joining us today. And thank you, Miss Amina Began, for joining us. Thank you for everything that you've shared. Um, if any of you have any questions, any concerns or any thoughts about what we've discussed today, please feel free to message us and to get in touch with us. Thank you. Oh, 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 oh,